Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. This is Adam Justice. I just returned from Cedia 2019, and on today's Smart Home Show, Richard and I talk about the show, what he learned from afar, and what I saw in the smart home space while exhibiting there and walking the show. Additionally, we talk about a new technology that was included in this year's iPhone 11 and what implications it may have for the future of the smart home. We hope you enjoy the show. I'm Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey, Adam. Hey. You just got back from Cedia. So today, we're going to be talking about Cedia 2019 and some exciting new technologies that may have some smart home applications. But before we get into the smart home talk, I have a question for you to open the show. I think most people who know me know that I am not a sports ball fan. However, how about you? Are you into sports? And uh, if so, like, what's your favorite team? So I'll I'll say I'm not like super hardcore sports bro, uh, but I am slightly into sports. I mean, I grew up in Chicago in the 90s. So how could you not be like a Chicago Bulls fan (laughs) at that time? But I would say today, and this will just be kind of a funny answer for anybody watching the video version of our show, which is coming soon, uh, because I'm wearing a Chicago Cubs shirt, um, and that's definitely my favorite sports team. Um, I've always loved baseball my whole life. I played a bunch growing up and didn't really have hardcore loyalty in baseball. You know, we went to both White Sox and Cubs games growing up, and just during kind of the the... 2000s, um, I really started to pick a side, um, which is something, you know, Chicago fans tend to do with, with baseball and just really love, um, really love the team. And especially it's been a number of pretty exciting years, you know, with them winning the world series in 2016. And we've had a a very good team for, for many years now. So I, I often go to a couple games a year and um, really enjoy taking my older son there as well. So um, it's definitely a fun time. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's jump into it. You were at Cedia and you've been at Cedia before, right? As an attendee. Yes, I've been as an attendee, but this was the first time exhibiting for us. Ah, okay. All right. And I missed it. This is one of the first times that I have missed in many years, I have a good reason. I'm on vacation right now, but I kind of just ended up watching a little bit from afar. One of, 
our contributors, Jimmy Hawkins, was at Cedia and wrote about some of the things that he saw there and that were interesting there. And it sounded like, as usual, there was kind of your your usual crossover that we've talked about in the past where companies that typically create DIY products are reaching out to professionals and trying to come up with tools and programs that makes it easier for professionals to adapt their products and incorporate them into their offerings. And similarly, you had some of the higher end companies doing things to kind of put the olive branch out to customers who are interested in some DIY options. So I, you know, I, I looked at a number of things that I thought were kind of interesting. I, I think one of the things that Jimmy wrote about was some new offerings from Leviton. Leviton, of course, has the Decora Smart line. And while it annoys the crap out of me that they have four completely different versions of that, two of which, actually, arguably, three of which could all work with HomeKit, but they yeah. have separate Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and HomeKit versions of the switches that they put out, as well as Z-Wave versions that would work with your Z-Wave stuff. So, you know, pick your radio and you can do whatever. But they were announcing that with their Wi-Fi line, they were coming out with a four-button keypad, which I think is really cool because, frankly, I feel like we need more options that allow people to use physical controls for some of the smart products that they have in their homes. And it's hard to find a good in-wall keypad. And they were also coming out with an uh, Amazon Assistant-enabled wall dimmer, not a switch like some others have come out with, but uh, a dimmer. And that was, I think both of those were going to be about a hundred bucks. And it looks like they're marketing both of those to both the pro and DIY uh, audiences. So that's kind of cool. And then he today, or not today, I guess it was this, the second day he had identified, he, Jimmy had identified uh, some new products from Zoos. And Zoos is a really interesting company for Z-Wave fans because they have a number of very innovative Z-Wave products and, and they were showing off some new things that were that were pretty cool as well. So that's kind of what caught my attention, but you were there. So I, I have to imagine that there was more that caught your eye when you did get a chance to maybe roam around a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I did get to meet Jimmy. It was very nice. And being that we took over this show about 10 episodes ago, this is kind of the first major trade show I've been to since we took over this podcast from Mike. And so it was kind of fun for me that as I'm working the booth, you know, various people came up and said they listened to the show. So if you stop by, thanks for coming in and saying hi. And nice. I guess in the future at, at CES or something like that, if you listen to the show, you know, definitely pop by and say hi. So fun to uh, meet some fans and, um, you know, hear from them. So in general, I mean, I think it was a it was a good show for us, and there was lots of interest in our, our products, so I definitely think it's something we're going to exhibit at again in the future. I did get a little bit of a chance to walk around. That's always, you know, when you're, when you're officially working, um, always a challenge to find some time to do that, and since there were only two of us, you know, we tried not to uh, 
totally strand the other one, but especially the last day was pretty darn slow. So I think I got to most things that I wanted to see, uh, unless there was something, you know, magical and secret tucked away. So I guess some things of note, you know, ring was there, but, uh, didn't really look like anything new or, you know, exciting, just showing off all the same, you know, existing stuff and, and obviously trying to, um, you know, sell dealers on that, uh, and installers. I swung by the Eero booth over there, expecting the answer I got, but I wanted to ask it anyways, was I wanted to know more about HomeKit routers. When is it coming? And they said, oh, that's so new. We, we can't don't have anything to talk about. But I did get one piece of information <laughs> out of them, which was good, um, which is that I said, well, will it work with existing Eros? And they said, all second generation Eros will get HomeKit. So they're obviously... Or, I don't know if there's a hardware chip in there, but I'm guessing they're probably going about this via software. But as somebody who owns second generation Eros, I was happy to hear this. That's cool. On the non-smart home side, um, something that caught my eye, and I actually texted you about this when I saw it. There was a new company, this was in the innovation area, called Red Carpet Home Cinema. So this is an ultra, ultra high-end, I don't even maybe not even the 1%, the, you know, 0.05% uh, market <laughs> uh, delivery here. But what this is, is for people that have their own home theaters, is a media server, it's a $15,000 box, and you put it in your home theater, and it allows you to stream day one movies when they come out in the theater. So... Everything they had to say sounded great until I heard the price. Not only the price of the box, but also the price of the movies. So the movies are two to $3,000 per movie. And you can watch them within 30 days, but you only get a 36-hour viewing window where you can watch the movie twice. So that is not a product for me. <laughs> and is it actually limited to twice? Twice, yeah. You can, you can run it twice for your huh. two to three thousand dollars yeah yeah so ultra high-end people with more money than sense well i i so i want to caveat that a little bit right i don't think that's a fair assessment i think if you're in the group of people that this is targeted to then throwing two to three thousand dollars at personal in-home access to first-run movies is not a thing. It's just, it's not, a, that's like, okay, so what? Two to $3,000, no big deal. I get to have some of my friends over in my personal 50-seat theater and watch whatever. So I don't really think that that cost is is unreasonable for the audience this is targeting. My question is, is that audience large enough to sustain companies that are doing this? Because others have tried this, and I don't know if they still exist or not, but this isn't a new thing. Right. Yeah. I know there's been a couple other attempts, and I, I'd much rather see something like, you know, a subscription service or, you know, something that was came down market a little bit. I, I can get making the hardware expensive and there's probably a ton of security stuff. And um, somebody was telling me even like this uses 
the latest and greatest HDMI spec that like barely has stuff out there that um, supports it. So you're going to have to have the latest and greatest everything to even support this. So I understand the box being being expensive, but the movies at that price, you know, I do think it kind of limits the audience. But yeah, I mean, I think I guess if you have a ton of money and a, and a huge theater, I could see having something like this to do, you know, a big movie at your house a couple times a year. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, and we always see at Cedia the extremes, right? Now, particularly that we have some DIY products there that sell for under a hundred dollars. And then on the other end, you have these high end custom products. And, and remember the origins of Cedia was custom electronics right. <laughs> and consumer electronics for a custom uh, kind of installation or audience. So I, I, it's, I actually find seeing this sort of stuff really interesting. I know one of the other vendors that was there again this year was Kaleidoscope or yeah, Kaleidoscape, which I could have sworn had gone out of business a couple of years ago, but somehow they managed to continue to stay alive. And they offer the ability to have all of these movies on a server and, uh, you know, again, really high cost product. It's not, I think it's like a $10,000 entry or something like that for their box. You're not paying two to three K per movie because you're not getting early access. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if they ended up pursuing this, if this is something that turns out to be a viable market and the studios support it under the right conditions. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly great to see the studios being willing to do this. And I could definitely see something like this proving out on the very high end. And then maybe they decide they'll trickle down or, you know, have some other way to, um, to support this at a wider, wider market. Right. And um, to your point about the ultra high end stuff, one funny thing that I saw at the show was somebody wearing a shirt that's on the back said solving the 1% problems. <laughs> yep. So that's that's CDF for you. So some other stuff that I saw, um, I stopped by the Savant booth. Um, I had heard a lot about their remote um, that had apple tv integration basically everything the apple tv remote can do their remote does and they were actually showing off a second generation version of this which looked very very nice but somebody actually told me that they're they're pretty usual suspect for announcing something here and it doesn't ship for a very long time yeah yeah absolutely i'm betting someone maybe at the home tech podcast meetup might have mentioned that to you yes yes so um you know it looked cool and um i think what's unique about what they're doing with the apple tv is not only do they have this remote that can control the apple tv and and how that works is like it has voice in it that responds to other things but when you're in the apple tv section then it basically becomes an apple tv remote and with siri with siri and they also have an app for Apple TV that gives you savant controls to everything else. So they're they're pretty deeply integrated 
into the system and and it's pretty yeah. cool to see their apple tv app in action and all the stuff you can do there so i was yeah, impressed I, by that. i love this i love what they're doing i have very very seriously considered getting this myself in my home which would mean going through a dealer and all of that stuff and i i'm tempted i'm really tempted because i think the design of the remote is fantastic. It feels good. It has just the right amount of buttons. It has a good balance between what's on screen and what you use physical controls for. Their app, I think, is also very, very good. I love what Savant is doing. And even though this isn't a DIY product, they had a DIY version that they tried to sell, took it off the market. Didn't I don't know if it didn't do well or they just got too much flack from their dealers, but the only way to get this is through a dealer, and I want one. Yeah. Well, good news. We know a few. so We do, as a matter of fact. Yes. So similar, actually, that you know, I believe Savant blazed the trails with Apple on this. And I actually talked to somebody there who had worked on the project um, and was swapping some war stories of working with Apple with me. But so they blazed the trail on this, and now others are doing the same thing. So URC had a remote that is nowhere near as nice as Savant's. No, URC makes ugly remotes, but they're very functional. Yes. But yeah, same kind of thing. When you're in Apple TV remote, you can use Siri control and kind of the whole thing. So that was interesting to see that tech going a little wider. In terms of weird things I saw at the show, Home Assistant had a booth. Yeah. So that was interesting. Open source platform having a booth. And I was like, who's paying for this? <laughs> but they were there. Yeah. I I found that equally intriguing. And I was curious if, did you get a chance to talk to anybody and find out what their play was? Are they Are they possibly positioning themselves as uh, an option for that middle ground that we talked about, that do-it-for-me crowd? I did talk to them, and they just kind of gave me the, like, this is what this is, this is what it can do, but they weren't making any sort of pitch of, like, this is where this fits in this world to me. So Got it. It, it was kind of odd, but, you know, yeah, good on them. Other interesting thing I saw, so I, I looked at the Leviton booth as well, and what caught my eye was the connected circuit breaker box. So this was something they had announced at the International's Builders Show, and pretty impressive what, what they can do here. You know, basically, um, you'll get notification if you have a trip breaker. I think the only one downside is um, that you can't untrip a breaker, you still have to go to the basement, flip it. So he said that's right. partially for safety reasons, um, partially for, you know, they'd have to put a servo in there to un untrip it or whatever. So, But you can um, remotely trip it, which I think is really cool if you're doing like an installation or something and you know which circuit to hit. You can trip it remotely and do your work and then go down the basement or wherever it is to turn it back on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. And I definitely like that this is a place that's getting this kind of tech. 
it makes a ton of sense. It would not be a simple thing to retrofit. He said it can be done. And, you know, they have they have some things that, um, you know, make it not too painful. And, you know, basically an electrician could come in and do it. I think he said it was like a six to eight hour job um, to, to retrofit it. So, you know, for me, unless I was building a new house, I don't I don't think I would probably put this in. Yeah, I can see that. I do want to just give a shout out to the folks at Home Tech FM because Seth and Jason did a really good episode where they interviewed, I believe, the product manager of that specific product. And it, it's very informative. So if you want to find out more about that, I'd recommend going over and listening to that at hometech.fm. Yeah, we'll definitely include a link in the show notes to that episode. And uh, I do get to see both of them, and, and they always host a, a, an event and uh, a, a meetup. So that's always uh, great and a great community over there as well. So then kind of the last thing, or second to last thing, Google had a really great booth. I It was easily the best booth of this show. Just in, I really liked how they were telling the story here. It had... Uh, there were like four quadrants to the booth and that each quadrant was a different room. So there was a bedroom, there was a kitchen, there was a garage, there was a family room. And they were just showing off all the kind of Google smart home products. Nothing new there other than I did get to go check out the Nest Hub Max, which we've talked about on previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, It just looks like a big Nest Hub. Like it's the, it's, Everything you like about the other one, but bigger. I wasn't blown away. Um, the other big thing is it, it has that integrated um, Nest Cam. Right, looked f- fine. It's got a you know, it's got the light to tell you when the camera's on and things like that. But it's okay. So if you like the regular Nest Hub, but you want a bigger one, looks like a good choice. But uh, I'm probably not going to run out and buy one of those. <laughs> Then the last thing I wanted to talk about was something that actually got a fair amount of press before ahead of Cedia, and I went and talked to them. They were in the Z-Wave booth, which is uh, a solution called RoomMe. So what RoomMe is, uh, for those of you not aware of it, uh, it is a Bluetooth-enabled presence detection solution. So the idea here is that you're using these Bluetooth uh, pucks. They actually look kind of like a smoke detector and they go on your ceiling uh, and you're supposed to put them in an entrance to a room and they use the Bluetooth in your cell phone. So cell phone is important. Um, it won't work with Apple watch yet, but they said they're working on that. But so you have to have the app running on your phone and you have to have your phone with you. And then it allows you to personalize automations as you enter one of those rooms and you can change music, lighting, temperature, and more. So this was interesting. There was also a HomeKit logo in their booth. So I, of course, asked about that and I go, do you, are you HomeKit certified? No, they're not. But what they are doing is a little bit tricky. They've got HomeKit in their app. So they load your HomeKit configuration into their app, and then they use their device to change things via the app in HomeKit. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I I guess 
I'm still stuck at they were in the Z-Wave booth. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. I, I believe, I, I mean, they, I think they have integration with Z-Wave and Zigbee. So, um, you know, I okay. think there are m- okay. multiple radios in there and um, uh, lots of ways to get it connected. So, I don't know. What do you think of this in general as a as a concept? I think it's interesting. I think it needs to be smaller and less expensive. How much is I it? I don't... I believe the starting point is either a hundred or north of a hundred, and then each successive room. I think it's more like one fifty, if I remember correctly. And then each room after that is like a hundred or something. So it, it's a pricey thing to get into, and I can see some benefit. I mean, you know, certainly. That this gets us closer to this concept of the responsive or considerate home that is, you know, reacting to what you're doing, your behaviors, and hopefully your patterns as well over time. But I just, I, I, hmm, I don't know. I, I, we all wanted to see this from Apple, frankly, in, the form of beacons. And so this to me seems kind of like that solution, but in a much bigger way. And I, 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 hmm. Yeah. So that's where I am. I'm obviously conflicted about it. I think it's cool. I don't know if it's cool enough and I don't like the price point or the form factor. So, yeah, obviously, I love it. I want to try it, honestly. Yeah, I, I actually might try it, too. Um, so I got updated pricing. I looked it up while, while you were talking about that. So starter kit costs 129 which is includes two sensors. You have to have two to make it work. 239 for a pack of four additional sensors for 69 a piece. Okay, so less than I was thinking, but... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is now I have two or three things at the entrance to rooms between the Wi-Fi access point and the actual smoke detector. And now this sensor that looks like a smoke detector, each room would be starting to look like a hotel room at this point (laughs) with all the things on the ceiling or the wall. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I w- the design of the the puck was not super interesting, and I guess it runs on two D batteries. So I'd be interested in buying a starter kit and just playing around with it, just to play around with the concept. And I like where their heads at. So I think it's yep. good in, in terms of concept, but I'm not sure that this is the technology to get it done. Mm-hmm. So with that. Uh, we're going to talk more about what might be the technology to get it done, but let's take a quick break. Okay. So as we're recording this episode, last week was Apple's big 2019 iPhone event. So one thing that was announced here was a quiet feature that was only on a slide and they were 
they're like barely talking about it, which is a new U1 chipset. And here's what the exact quote is from Apple. So the new Apple design U1 chip uses ultra wideband technology for spatial awareness, allowing iPhone 11 Pro to understand its precise location relative to other nearby U1 equipped Apple devices. It's like adding another sense to the iPhone. It's going to lead to some amazing new capabilities. And as far as they talked about as part of this event, the only amazing capability that they were actually able to demo, which was was basically better airdrop, where you could point your phone at somebody and it would know that's who you wanted to airdrop to. Which, okay, nice gimmick. <laughs> the big rumor... The big rumor of what this technology is actually going to be used for is their competitor to tile trackers for locating devices. So there's a big rumor that Apple is going to do their own tile-like device um, that allow you to find your keys or whatever, and that it would utilize this ultra-wideband technology. So I guess a little bit about this technology in general. It's used to detect locations within 10 centimeters. That's four inches for those in America. And depending on that implementation, it can be as micro as five millimeters. And it transfers data at up to 27 megabits per second, which is faster than BLE, but slower than Wi-Fi. And... It is very power efficient, and I believe even better so than BLE. Unlike BLE beaconing, which uses signal strength, this uses time of flight. Um, so, so what's that this mean? is similar to the technology used for unlocking your Mac with your Apple Watch. Um, okay. Where basically, it's determining that you're there by um, running something at the speed of light, or and. It, so time of flight ensures that you're, you know, actually present there. So what that means is it's a lot more secure and a lot more accurate. So my feeling after I, I kind of heard a, a little bit about this technology and with where my head always goes, I was like, hmm, this might be what we finally need to get presence detection and the kind of automations we were just talking about with Roomy yeah. in the smart home. Yeah. Well, and it makes you wonder if Rumi doesn't have something in the works, maybe, to work with this in the future as well. I don't know. I don't know. I know the technology's been out there for a while, but I don't know of any major uses of it to date. So, you know, this may not have even really been on their radar. Yeah, possibly. Right, right. So, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I thought about this and I thought even if Apple does their tile thing, a cool thing to play around with would be put one of those devices in a room and try to use that for triggers. Say when I'm, right. you know, now they've also added, you know, really much more deeper integration with um, shortcuts so I could see you being able to say when I'm when I'm within, you know, so much distance of this device, then, you know, trigger a scene in HomeKit and things like that. So I'm excited about that. I this feels like this could be the real deal for really giving you that killer in-home positioning. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it needs to be a little bit better than I'm a certain distance, right? We, it needs to be able to do triangulation to identify that you're in a specific room as opposed to the, you know, standing against the wall in the room next door. But that sort of capability with just kind of, you know, built into the devices that you already have and maybe with these small little chips, I know I've seen some renderings. I'm assuming they're not real. I'm assuming they're like artist renderings of what these tags might look like if Apple comes out with them. But that's really compelling. And that would be very cool. And as we were talking about with Rumi, you know, that's the kind of thing that I really expected Apple to be thinking about with smart home, particularly even as in the home application uh, is being so structured by room. Imagine the power of then being able to have room specific automations set up and things like that. I, I think that could be very, very compelling. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sort of thinking to myself as you were saying that, you know, would they put to get would they put out a product like room me to put in your rooms and get better automations um you know i don't know i guess that depends if they're going to put out a tile tracker that doesn't seem like something they would normally do but if they think they can put a compelling you know experience together with these technologies then maybe they'll maybe they'll go down that rabbit hole Right. And I wonder, quite frankly, if it really is a tile tracker. I mean, maybe it is more of a beaconing thing. Who knows? I, I think I, I don't I, I tend to not give a lot of credence to Apple rumors until we actually hear what they're doing, even though arguably the Apple rumors have been um, frustratingly good over the last few years. And I say frustratingly because I kind of enjoy the reveal that we don't generally get anymore from Apple because of all the rumors. I know. It's like knowing what all your Christmas presents are before you open them. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, if they are going to do something like this, um, I, I want to – I still question the whole – the whole tag thing. Like what's, what's the business case for that? I just have a hard time seeing why they would want to even go down that path. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, maybe it's something they did to just kind of prove out the technology. Um, it seems like a weird space for them to get into, but if they think they can kind of show off their new phones and it, it, it kind of helps highlight that, you know, they make plenty of other, you know, small accessories that sell in, you know, limited volumes. But, um, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting, but I hope they do it. I hope it happens. Uh, I'd love to see it sooner rather than later. Uh, it was one of the things that was notably absent from this keynote, which I can totally understand. You know, they want the phones to be the front and center. So rumors are there will be another event in October to focus on, um, Pro devices, Mac, uh, Mac Pro, MacBook Pro, and iPad Pro, but I'd love to see something like this sneak into that event. Yeah, yeah. There's almost always an October event anymore, so 
I would assume that we're going to see one again this year. And maybe they'll bring down the price of the iPad mini. Just maybe. Because it doesn't make any sense compared to everything else. Probably even <sighs> less now that there's another iPad in the mix. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that sounds really interesting. I think we'll definitely be watching this and seeing what happens, what happens with Apple's products and their use of this. And also, if it's something that they open to vendors to participate in it, or if it's something that they're only going to use in-house. Yep. Yeah, that would certainly be interesting. All right. Well, Adam, this is the part of the show where we would normally answer a question for a listener, but... We don't have a question. So you know what that means? That means people are not sending us questions. Shame on you, listeners. So <laughs> send us some questions. And Richard, how can they send us a question? It's really easy. Go on Twitter and ask Twitter the question and put the hashtag Ask Smart Home Show in that Twitter post and we'll see it. And we'll do our best to answer it. So, yeah, help us out. Give us some questions. We can always come up with some stuff that we think will be interesting, but it's certainly much more interesting if the questions come from our listeners. All right. Well, that is going to end up wrapping this episode. I'm so glad that you had a chance to exhibit at Cedia, get a different Cedia experience and also that we had this chance right afterward to talk about it. I'm probably not going to be talking about it too much on Home On, but so I'm really glad that we did this. Tell people how they can find out more about you and your company if they're interested in, you know, following up. Sure. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and everything that my company is doing at ConnectSense.com. Very cool. And Richard, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me over at the Digital Media Zone. That's the digitalmediazone.com. And I am on Twitter at Richard Gunther. And of course, the other show that I host is Home On. We just had the host or the host, <laughs> the founder of the company Sense, which makes a retrofit product for in-home existing electrical panels to detect what's going on in your home. Not quite what Leviton is doing, but in some ways a competitor and probably better for people who already have a home and want to retrofit that. So you can check that out. There. The Smart Home Show is part of technology.fm, and that is a great collection of tech focused podcasts that includes Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and of course, my other show, Home On. And you can find our episodes over at smarthome.fm or in your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much everywhere else that you can find podcasts. Do us a favor. If you like the show, tell some friends about it and leave us a rating or review. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Smart Home Show. Thanks for listening.
Hey everyone, this is Lincoln Justice coming to you live from my dad's weird podcast studio in his bedroom. I hope you enjoy my dad talking about nerdy smart home stuff.